You know, yesterday I was so sad to hear that Dick Allen, he uh, played for the Chicago White Sox, and he played for three years. And one of the things about Dick Allen, what a lot of people don't know, is that they called him the savior. Back in the day, like in the late 70s, you know, there was a discussion to move the White Sox out of the city of Chicago. They were on their way to Seattle or some other places. And Dick Allen brought renewed interest into the White Sox. What Face it, the um, White Sox weren't getting any love in the city of Chicago. They weren't getting the kind of tax breaks. But when he came to play, they called him the savior. And he did save that team. And Dick Allen never made it to the Hall of Fame just like Ron Santo. Um, and like I said, I think they need to change this whole idea of who gets into the Hall of Fame or not. Um, but I hope that he does make it uh, this time posthumously uh, because uh, he deserves it. He And he made quite the contribution to the White Sox. Joining me on the live line is Jason Palmer. He is the Chicago, he works for the Chicago Crusader newspaper and Sports Zone Chicago. Hi, Jason. How are you today? Good morning, Perry. How are you? I'm good. You don't even remember Dick Allen, do you? Oh, are you kidding me? Of course I do. He's, he's one of the guys that may be a White Sox fan. I was born in 1970, so he started playing in 72, so I was like two years old. But he was still there when I, you know, really started falling in love with baseball when I was like a three-year-old. And uh, I, I definitely remember Dick Allen. And, uh, you know, he was a, a heck of a ball player, Perry, and, and a really good guy. Um, a lot of people know that Dick was um, – he one of the things about Dick was he refused to be treated as a second class citizen. That's right. As an African American baseball player, and you know some people in the media try to describe him as you know honorary. He was this, he was that. But the bottom line is he was just a black guy who was going to stand up for himself. And, and you know, say, what, no, you're not going to mistreat me. And you know what was funny? They said that Dick Allen played with one of the biggest bats in the league. With, he did. What, what, I mean, how did he? I mean, there weren't any you know, rules or anything? How did he, how did he manage to do that? Yeah. I mean, you know, the joke is that he basically would go and just cut down a tree and use the, the tree stump <laughs> as his bat. He, he swung one of the longest and heaviest, heaviest bats um, that has ever been used. I want to say it was like 38 ounces. or so. It was something ridiculous wow. like that, Barry. <laughs> I mean, he was a really large guy, but you know, his whole, theory behind that was that you know more mass on the bat you know that he could swing and generate enough speed as mass times the speed he could hit more home runs and you know he was a prolific home run hitter but he went the complete opposite of most most guys today use a very light bat because they want the bat speed right uh, to be able to get to the ball well dick was like well the heck with the speed. I'm just going to use the biggest thing available <laughs> and the heaviest thing available and the ball will go further. So that was his philosophy. So let me ask you this. Um, I think I'm going to take it a, a step further because, like you said, he was never going to be treated like a, a second-class citizen. And we'll get back to our topic. Um, he was never treated like a second-class citizen, but I think he was trying to send a message. If you mess with me, this bat is going to be upside your head, and it's going <laughs> to feel a lot differently than that little skinny bat that everybody else is using. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of that, too. I mean, you know, Dick was playing in the 70s. Um, he played in Chicago. He also played in Philadelphia. And, you know, Philadelphia fans have a, you know, a reputation of just yeah. being Racist. crazy in every single sport and race right. and everything else. And, you know, he just was not going to tolerate that nonsense. You know, we have people um, who, you know, had different personalities. Of course, Jackie Robinson uh, took a lot of abuse so that further um, black players could make it in the league so right. that they wouldn't have to tolerate the abuse. And, you know, that was Dick's philosophy. Like, you know, Jackie was, you know, at that time, 30 years ago, I'm not about to be putting up with this nonsense. I so, get that. You know, I get that. You know. So let me ask you, Jason, and before we move on to our topic, do you mm-hmm. think that they need to change this whole thing about how people get into the Hall of Fame? Because, I mean, you know, I think of Ron Santo and how long mm-hmm. he waited to get in the Hall of Fame. Dick Allen didn't make it. I mean, countless others. What what do they need to do? Because these are a bunch of old, for the most part. I mean, do they have sports writers on, on this academy, like your age and that sort of thing? Or are they mostly a bunch of old men that have these nostalgic ideas of who some of these people and players were? So that's a good question, Perry. And so the Hall of Fame is basically conducted by the Baseball Writers of America. Right. Uh, We actually do have a young African-American from Chicago named Eugene McIntosh, who is a member of the Baseball Writers Association. Mm -hmm. Um, So he would be a good – he's from Chicago. He played baseball at Chicago State. He's a journalist here in Chicago now. He'd be a good guy to get on your show. I'm going to do that. But the whole voting process is – it's nuts. Uh, who gets in, who doesn't. So basically what they did in recent years is they established a veterans community, Mm -hmm. a veterans committee, I'm sorry, which is comprised of former baseball veterans, and they also now have a vote, whereas if you don't get selected by the Baseball Writers Association, the Veterans Committee can vote you in as well. And I think that was one of the things that pushed Ron Santo eventually over the top was the creation of this new Veterans Committee. Now, our good friend, yours and mine, Bob Kendrick of the Negro League Museum, he has really been pushing for Dick Allen for a number of years. Um, He's been very vocal about Dick Allen needing to be in. I looked at Bob's Twitter page this morning. It's filled with just pictures with Dick Allen down there in the Negro League Museum. Um, But, yes, that process, um, it is basically a bunch of kind of older white guys who are baseball writers across the country who kind of make this determination. And they are trying to diversify that a little bit more. It's kind of similar to, uh, what's the award show? The uh, the The Academy Academy Awards. Awards, yeah. Right, how they've gotten a lot of flack in recent years, and they're trying to to change a little bit of that format to make it more inclusive. So I definitely think it's something that baseball has to continue to work on because people like like Dick Allen and Ron Sano, who you know, it it you know, give these people their flowers while they're alive. Yes, you know, that's my whole thing. So I'm, I'm going to tell you one of the things that I hate about COVID nineteen. I was planning a trip to the Negro um, Baseball Museum with our listeners. Uh, I was hoping we could do that um, this year. And, of course, with COVID-19, it went to hell in a handbasket. As a a sports reporter, how difficult has this been for you? Has it been difficult for you to keep up with what's going on? Are you at a loss for content? What has this experience been like for you, someone who's so used to being hands-on and, you know, being at games and that sort of thing? How different was this for you, 
covering sports? You know, that's an excellent question, Perry, and it's actually a question that I ask a lot of my guests who come on the What's Up Cos podcast on Mondays from 6 to 8. Right. Um, and we had Cameron Smith last night. He oh, was wow. a Chicago native. Um, he, he works for the Madison Square Garden next network. And one of the things, when you talk to all reporters who are covering this stuff, the major difference is not having the access in the locker room to the players. Right. Um, a lot of the good stories come from just your being able to build rapport with the players or some of the coaches and develop sources. And they tell you stuff sometimes off the record, but a lot of times on the record, and that really makes it to a good story. And so the thing that um, they they really are suffering from the most is just not being able to have that interaction because all the press conferences now are being done over Zoom. You don't really have access to the players unless you've established that relationship and you've got cell phone numbers, kind of stuff like that. And, you know – that's really important as it relates to what is going on with this debacle of a bear season oh. right now. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, what the question everybody wants to know is what is the locker room like? You know, how are the players really feeling about They're that cussing bag? each other out. They're like, Nagy's got to go. I'm sick of this. This has been an embarrassment to the Bears. I, I don't know why it's such an embarrassment. You're cheap as hell. You don't want to pay anybody. So, Right. Right. So I'm just saying, what did you expect? Do you think, and then when we come back from the break, we're going to talk more Mm -hmm. about this official, that football official that was attacked and some other things. Do you think that they should have canceled all of professional sports in 2020? So that's a doggone good question, Perry. I uh, The professional sports, I think it can be successful if they're able to do it in a bubble, like the NBA and the NHL did with hockey this spring. Um, they did that. They didn't have any COVID-positive tests. They were able to do that. Uh, trying to do it the way they're doing it now, um, you're going to have COVID tests. Um, the professional sports level, I think they have more money. I think they could possibly pull it off. I definitely do not believe college football, college basketball should have been playing. And high all. school. And high school, correct. Well, that's a good idea. I, I, I agree with you 100%. I am so excited. I'm talking to Jason Palmer, and he is one of the great sports voices of Chicago, and it's just been a pleasure to talk to him. So let's look at this right now, Jason. Who at the great of all athletes, which athletes use their platform and their voice better than anyone else? By saying collectively okay. as a group. Could do um, the, w, the WNBA players, what they have done um, this past year um, is actually something they've been doing even before uh, social justice jumped onto the main stage here in 2020. Um, The ladies of the WNBA have always been very vocal about social issues. Um, I covered the sky for a a number of years. I got to cover them again this year. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that people need to understand is I think it's also because they don't make as much money as the men do. Right. Um, Also, many of them are mothers um, who are mothers of, of, of black you know, boys and black girls. So, right. you know, it's a, it's a, just an issue that's very uh, close to their heart. But they've been extremely proactive in social justice issues long before 2020. So I would say as a group, the, the professional women's basketball players of the WNBA are champions of that by far. You are, that was very magnanimous of you. You are a very, you know, outspoken and thoughtful person to even say that about the WNBA because most sports 
and I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna say black sports uh, riders, mm-hmm. but most sports riders they just don't even <clears throat> give them the um, they're just desserts. These women, mm-hmm. like you said, if it was LGBTQ um, issues, if mm-hmm. it was you know uh, people killing black men. Uh, and boys unarmed, they have been at the forefront. I've got one other question. Mm-hmm. Which father and son dynasty in the NBA would likely be playing in the NBA at the same time? Uh, that's a good question. Um, Steph Curry and Dale Curry, uh-huh. um, both were out. Standing shooters. Um, Dale Curry was a really good shooter in his own right, and his son Steph is just taking it to a different level. But, you know, I'm starting to really get hyped for this whole LeBron James and his younger son, Bronny, who's mm. coming up. Um, I think we could be witnessing something really special here in about two years. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons why LeBron recently signed that extension with the Lakers um, last week. Um, he really wants to play with his older son, Bronny who is a phenomenal basketball player, Perry. Everything that's going to drive white people. That... That's going to drive white folks crazy. <laughs> I mean, it'd yeah, be like, I'm just going to tell, I'm just going to tell you, they're going to be like, now you got two <laughs> black people in one family making all this money. That is just not fair. <laughs> I swear. Let's go to Lee. Lee, thank you for your call. You wanted to comment on Dick Allen. What do you remember about yeah. him? Oh, let me tell you, over here in Indiana, uh, we was just crazy about him here, too. Uh, he uh, he was, uh, first of all, he came here and he signed for uh, $225,000, quarter million dollars in 72. <laughs> that was a lot of money back then. And, and you, I'm telling you. And, uh, by the way, some people said I should have, I was good enough to play. But anyway, I, uh, he, I was uh, working in the mill then, but he was he was one of my heroes. He really? He was so smart. He would, uh, if he, if a pitcher struck him out in the first inning, he gonna look at him as he walking to the dugout. Cause nine out of ten, the next time he faces him, he gonna hit one out the park. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and the next, and, and and he was one of the few people to hit one on top of the old Comiskey Park roof, and I think it bounced over on the street. That's right. That, he, he was a he was a massive. I mean, this man was so strong when he hit them. Hit them home runs. I mean, he hit them them uh, uh, mammoth home runs. But know? he was naturally strong. I mean, this wasn't any yeah. steroids or anything yeah. like this. This man just was strong. And and one that would stand out. They played a double hitter against the Yankees. Uh, Dick Allen set out the first game. The second game they had Sparky Lyle was the good reliever, and he the game was you know it was dark out then. Because it was a double hit on a Sunday. I'll never forget it. He threw one of them screwballs in there. And and because and, and, uh, Chuck Tanner told uh, Dick, he said, look, I might need you later. So he took him off the bench to get up in the second game. And he got up there with two men on. He hit that ball. Out. I mean, And he did. The, he was a clutch hitter, too. I can go on and on, but I'm going to let somebody All right, then. And you do remind, remember him being – um, do you remember him, you know, practically saving the White Sox from leaving the city? Oh, yeah. They say he saved the franchise because – and I've, I've been a White Sox fan because there's a news carrier here. They used to uh, take us over to Old Comiskey Park mm-hmm. at least uh, twice a year. 
and I got to see Mickey Mantle, uh, Al Keyline, Willie May. Uh, you know, oh, you are telling your age. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would. And, and I would be telling that. <laughs> Willie Mays himself said that that uh, that he's one of the greatest players I've seen, and I mean it's it's just amazing. The, the but he played in Little Rock, Arkansas. Okay. Now, oh yeah, he was one of the a, one of them cor- court bears. One that of those you a bad attitude sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I, oh, I can imagine playing baseball there. <laughs> he was a minor league player there too. At the, them bus rides and and couldn't go here and couldn't get a sandwich. Yeah. So you know, the man had the man. If he had an attitude sometimes, but a lot of players, including uh, Mike Smith, said he was one of the. He said he was one of the best people that he ever known. And all right then, and we're talking to Jason Palmer. Uh, when I was out, um, Jason came on with Matt, and you guys had a really good show, Jason. And I appreciate your work so much. Tell our listeners the name of your podcast again. The name of the podcast is What's Up, Cuz, with <laughs> myself, Jason Palmer, and my cousin, my actual cousin, Lance C. Irvin. I know. Uh, the coach. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I want to get back to the phone calls. Jason yeah. What was, in your opinion, and I know it's still early, and I might mm-hmm. be premature in asking you, what was the biggest sports story in 2020? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think the biggest sports story in 2020 is just going to be that sports found a way to continue during a COVID pandemic. I think COVID is going to be the story. Um, I think COVID is the story, period. Um, but as it relates to sports, just how some sports were able to acclimate, um, some better than others. Um, you know, what we're seeing right now in college football and college basketball is a complete disaster. Yeah, because uh, there are so many cases of COVID, right? There right. So there have been over 250 games canceled total so far between college football and basketball due to COVID. Um, it, it, it's the story, you know. Yeah. Um, I, you know, how they've done it. I, I, what I've done this year, Perry, is I've given everyone an asterisk who's won a championship. Uh-huh. So the Lakers, the Dodgers, you know, the Tampa Bay Lightning and hockey, everybody's getting an asterisk this year because they it's should. not really a true season. Right. Um, because of COVID and, you know, so many, you know, players and coaches have caught this virus and the scheduling. It's just, you know, it's not really a true season. You know, it's more like a tournament is how I look at well, it. Did, really we have, did we have – at some point where their fifth string quarterbacks were playing in the NFL. <laughs> well, we had a guy who had never been a quarterback in the NFL quarterback, <laughs> and that was the Denver Broncos game a couple weeks ago. So, yes, that, that and that's why I'm saying I'm giving everyone an asterisk because this is not normal. All right, then. Let's go to Ron. Ron, thank you for your call. Go right ahead. Period. Yeah. Um, good conversation. The gentleman that came, that was right before we went to the commercial, really had a good recollection. I, I called just to make a comment about the Savior. I've been a uh, Sox fan 55 years, and I remember talking to a gentleman, Bruce Miles, and just people in general, and they pretty much acknowledged Dick Allen saved the White Sox. And I know, because I've been with him for 50 years. Uh, just two or three quick things. He was more than a slugger. One of the rare things that occur in baseball is inside the park home run. He hit two in the same game. Two inside the park home run in the same game. And, but but he, I remember my uncle told me, I was little watch how he, he could cut the bases. 
is for 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 a big man. What and, and other guys like Mike Schmidt, Willie Mays, uh, a, a lot of them. Goose Gossett say the best player he's he's seen. But nothing that Mike uh, Schmidt said, he refused to be treated as, uh, uh, you know, less than a man. And, and that's mm-hmm. where he ran into his his issue, a second class, a second class citizen. That's what Mike Schmidt said. And but but lastly, unfortunately, he he fell one vote short. It was a veterans' committee in 2014. He fell one vote short. But they do have uh, uh, Philadelphia retired his numbers. They, they, those people were very, very racist. He wore a, 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 a batting helmet out to the field because they used to throw batteries at him. So he had to wear uh, – in his book, yep. I have his book, and, and, and it's called Crash because he wore, uh, he, he wore a batting helmet. I could go on and people, you know, I love the, the white side. I didn't – unfortunately, I was too young to see the great apparitio, but – I thank God that I saw Dick Allen. And that guy, he talked about that game when he came up and hit that home run. 52,000 people were there. Lastly, when he would come to bat and Nancy Faust would simply play Jesus Christ Superstar. But lastly, thanks for being, I, 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 it. It was really, really very, very sad for me when I heard about it. Cause growing up, Why did young, they throw batteries up, at his head? It was well, they I mean, Philadelphia, Perry. What? These Philadelphia, the same group of fans it's that were throwing snowballs at Santa Claus. Oh my! So let me ask yeah, you. Let me ask both of you this: What would you do to see black children become more interested in baseball again? I'm going to start with you, Ron. Well. Uh, I coached baseball. I kept coached my son, and I coached him with with, with the wife for for years. I'm seeing a little bit, um, period, but More it takes a lot of environment. You know what? No, you know it takes a lot of environment. See, I remember I was young. You can go out and just get a basketball. I mean, we just shoot in a garbage can. Baseball is a different game. It requires a good skill. Cubs just drafted, uh, I think, the Ed Howard. I was glad to mm-hmm. see that. So. Uh, there are some young guys that are playing the game, but it, 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 it takes a lot of organization um, to put it together. Again, you guys go out and play basketball, it doesn't take much to organize. You just get a ball and put up a net. But it's a lot mm-hmm. to the game. It's the best It's, it's the best game. It requires um, discipline, you know, knowing how to play. So, again, you know, thanks for the I, – I, I love the game. Love the game. So, so I'm going to ask uh, Jason this. My son yeah. But, Jason, I'm sure. going to ask you this. Uh-huh. Everybody, so, so thinks, play- everybody thinks that they're a basketball player amongst right? the greatest. What are the opportunities for an African-American young man who is proficient in baseball what are so the, the opportunities are definitely out there. They're, they're definitely out there. Baseball is the hardest sport to play, though. So what happens Absolutely. is um, what he's saying is that a lot of times what we see with our young African-American players, they start playing, but the game starts getting difficult, especially when you turn about 12 or 13 and you start seeing different type of pitches. The curveball is coming into play. The slider is coming into play. And it takes a lot of mental fortitude to push yourself through that. And unfortunately, a lot of young kids at that age, once it starts getting difficult, they quit. And if they don't have someone who's really pushing them, 
good to coaches. go forward and push through it, a coach, a father, a mother, whoever, they tend to quit. Uh, the other thing is it does take up more space. You have to have the facilities for it. We don't have as many programs as we used to have. Alderman Anthony Beal has been very big on pushing baseball on the south side. Uh-huh. Um, we are seeing a lot of progress, especially with the Chicago White Sox and their ace program. And the Cubs. Uh, we're starting to see, yeah. And the Cubs. We're starting to see more African-Americans play. And they're starting to understand that they can get more college scholarships as well. It's not about just making it to the top level, but That's right. to get that college scholarship but, as well. So we are seeing some uh, some advancement in that area. But yeah, and just the last, and I'll jump off. Uh, but you know, and you, you made a good point. It's it's the most difficult game to play. And all athletes are say the most difficult thing to do in all sports is hit a baseball. Michael Jordan thought he could quit basketball and go play baseball, mm-hmm. and he had a rude of what a, a rude awakening. But you know, I, um, I I coached my son for for, for years in baseball. He's, he's pretty good. But what happened? See, he decided to play basketball. And one day he decided to say, "Well, I'm you know play baseball again." And you know what he said when he was going up to try, try? He said, "Dad, it's hard to hit a curveball." <laughs> <laughs> He said, I'm, I'm locked in, and I taught him to play from the age of four years old. But he came and said, he said, boy, hitting that curveball, so I had to play. So, yeah, I, I just love the game, and, and really, as Terry, as you know, it's it's a big part of our, our, our culture. Baseball is such a big part of our culture. And I don't so think I, I people do hope- realize that. Let, let, let me tell you, my um, Aunt Annabelle and uncles, do you know they would have the television on and the transistor radio? They would be listening to the Sox. And then later on, my Aunt Annabelle, she didn't care if the Sox were on or the Cubs. She was going to sit there for the next four hours watching baseball. And that's... Well, we got... Go ahead. No, no, sorry, dear. Okay, you know, I get on this subject. Uh, but you know, as a Sox fan, we should have a special black player to... Pull for, I'm sure your guests will agree with Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson. Yeah, yeah I think Tim Anderson is uh, one of the most phenomenal players in Major League Baseball. Um, he's also a very socially conscious guy. Uh, Tim was recently out on uh, 64th in King Drive in the last couple of months. He was over there at the uh, at the uh, uh, housing uh, complex over there the talking park, to park a lot of young people. Okay. Yep, right there, Parkway wow. Gardens. Um, you know, Tim. Tim gets out in the community. You know, he lives out in the south suburbs. You know, he's in the community a lot. Um, And one of the things, you know, I know when I was growing up, you know, Ernie Banks used to live over there in Pill Hill, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he used Um, to be on my block all the time getting his hair cut. There you go. Thank you all so much. Yeah, thank you, yeah. 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 Well, we they had all the time. Yeah, you know? they had a connection. They couldn't live on the north side. They couldn't live in, you know, these white communities. And they, you know, stayed within uh, their black communities. And we all had a connection. And that's why, you know, even us as little girls, we would go up there and watch the boys. Not because we had crushes on any of them. It, well, I did. Uh, <laughs> I had crushes on a lot of them. But we would sit up there and watch baseball like nobody's business. And then when we were in high school, I used to um, cut Elizabeth Seaton on the Cubs opener every year. And my parents knew it, Jason. So let's go to Brother Hall. Go right ahead, Brother Hall. Yes. Uh, first of all, let me just tell you how much I enjoyed the show today. I sit back, but I couldn't help but to call in and run. 
Well, certainly I heard his, I feel his passion. Let me just say this, Perry. That is the key. You said what would it take to bring some of the young people, get them more interested in being a part of the baseball piece? Well, one of the things that I know for sure back in the 60s, there was nothing for you to go out of your house to go on the block of 74th and Constant. There's Billy Williams. You went down the street mm-hmm. on the same block to uh, Frank Corners. Yeah. If you went around, if you went around the corner on 73rd and Ridgeland, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Uh, if you went down back on 67, you had Minnie Minoso. Right. So you know we had them in our neighborhood, sweetheart. That's it makes right. a difference. We now see them. you go right now you go to a baseball field. Guess what's on it? Guess what's on? They got soccer uh, things. Uh, Soccer yeah. goals up there, you know, and we ought to hold our elected officials accountable for that because our children want the same thing that any other children uh, would like to have. And that's my comment. I appreciate yep. that. I have a godson, Jason, who was mm-hmm. a hell of a baseball player from mm-hmm. the time he was like four years old. And then as he went on to um, got older he really got into football and basketball, and he actually just finished college um, as uh, playing football for Benedictine College, and he went to Catholic schools his entire life. So he got scholarships and everything else, and I could not be more proud of him. And the fact sure. that his father, who um, you know unexpectedly died, you know, um, mm-hmm. he took him to every Sox game. He took, he coached every team, no matter what that boy wanted to do, he was there. And this is when, this is how you see the difference in the kids. When these fathers get involved with with raising these children, that her, her, he and her, um, her, his mother and father weren't married, but he put that boy to sleep every night, and that's what counts. Yeah, Yeah. without a doubt. And just real quick before I go, I will also say too, um, you know. The fact that Chicago State uh, disbanded their baseball program back hell? in March, um, you know, that's something I'm still looking into. Please. Uh, that's something that's actually something I think the community needs to be put more pressure on the leadership at Chicago State on President Scott and athletic director Elliot Charles. They made that decision. Um, they had it, it kids from cool all over to, the world part of that they had program. Kids from all over the world coming in. It wasn't cool how they made that decision. And there are certain members of the board of trustees of Chicago State who were not happy with how that decision was made. It was not a unanimous decision as well. Um, I'm still trying to get the the documents on how that decision was made. Chicago State has been stalling out in providing the information to the public, which, you know, I got a lot of issues with that. So well, I'm going to tell you, there, if you've got people you know, that see no value in something like a, a, a baseball team on a south side, um, predominantly black university, where we actually had an intern here, a white kid from uh, Canada. He was on CTU's baseball team. He was on CTU's baseball team. It builds character. These are some of the nicest kids. And you know what? I never followed up on on that story, so I'm going to leave it up to you, Jason Palmer. I I will. You can leave it up to me. I will do that, Um, you know. 
it, it was it's a very tragic situation that they did that. And just a little bit of breaking news while I was on the phone with you, there's been a Major League Baseball umpire who was arrested in a human trafficking sting. Get out! So that's, that's something that just came across my desk. And then I also know, uh, just a quick update, the football official who did get attacked in Texas this weekend, has uh, he's recovering pretty well. They don't expect any long-term injuries from that situation. Who beat his ass? Uh, um, it was basically a, a young man who got kicked out of the game, attacked, ran back on the field, and blindsided the official, gave him some concussion symptoms, and he injured his shoulder a little bit. The young man, Emmanuel Durant, has been arrested, um, given a $10,000 bond, which he posted, and he is awaiting a trial date. But they have charged him with misdemeanor assault as well. So is he from the Dominican? Put that out there. Is he from he the Dominican? He is from down there in Rio Grande Valley, Texas. Wow. All right, he's about to get his comeuppance. Jason Palmer, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you. And-